0: It's time for episode 43 of the Clockwise Podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded July 2nd, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. <laughs> Welcome back to Clockwise, a podcast that was born on the 4th of July. That's not true. It was born on the 10th of July last year. We're not quite a year old, but we're getting there. I am Jason Snell, your co-host and sitting across from me, uh, across the country that is, this fine country in the birthplace of the American Revolution, Massachusetts. It's Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi,
1: Jason. It's such a pleasure to be able to celebrate this auspicious occasion with you.
0: Which one? The 4th of July Independence Day in the United States or... uh, or uh, the, the one, Clockwise the one, Birthday? N- neither of them. Apparently, neither of them happened today. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, this is episode 43, so uh, technically what that means is that we missed a whole bunch of weeks this year. Uh, who's who's counting, except for us? Appar- when we number apparently the us. To my left is Editor-in-Chief of PC World and GreenBot, John Phillips. Hi, John. Hello. It's good to have you here. Yes. Great to be here. And to my left is Tech Hive's editor, Philip
2: Michaels. Hello, 43 episodes for each of the stars on the flag, save for the seven states we don't like.
1: <laughs> we, well, we're not going to name them because we're not that uncouth, but ask us later, we'll tell you.
2: Sorry, Dakotas. <laughs> oh, the,
0: we said we wouldn't talk oh, it's the about The
3: birthplace it. of Deadwood.
0: Yeah. Well, they can be one state. I'm just going to merge them okay. into one Uber Dakota. Fair enough. So the way this works is we spend 30 minutes talking about four different tech topics. Everybody will bring their own topic. We'll discuss it briefly, and we'll be done in 30 minutes or less because we don't have a pizza budget, and otherwise your pizza would be free. And since I am the person who kicked this off, I'm going to go first. Here is my topic. Reports indicate that iOS 8, which is currently being tested, the new version of iOS uh, that will be coming out this fall, includes Apple's podcasts app as a built-in app rather than being the downloadable app that it currently exists. This leads me to um, ask all of you, we're on a podcast right now, uh, podcasting has had a couple of waves of popularity. There was uh, there was one early on when the concept first kind of hit the mainstream or what passes for it in the sort of mid-2000s. And then it kind of fizzled, and now it's sort of come back in the last couple of years. But it's still generally a really nerdy techie thing. And, you know, I look at Apple putting the podcast app in iOS as being some potential upside for podcasts as a medium. But my question to all of you is – What's it going to take for podcasting, which I think we all like as a medium, to make it broadly to regular people so i don't have to explain to my mom what a podcast is because she always asks and all i can tell her is it's radio without the listeners which is not a good enough answer so what can be done if anything to make podcasting more broadly popular uh john phillips what do you think
3: well um i did not know about that ios development but i think that's a step in the right direction Uh, make it front and center (laughs) excuse me make it part of an os experience um, what if DirecTV and Comcast and the wireless n- networks were to uh, do a lot more to promote podcasts that might go against their business models to push video and audio content? But, you know, th- just to answer your question, that could be a path.
1: Well, uh, uh, clearly another year's worth of clockwise episodes and we'll <laughs> take in the world by story. 43
0: more.
3: Um, I think
1: I think building in a podcast app is a good first step. They, you know, obviously in the past, the iOS uh, music app has had podcast support, but it was always kind of like crammed in and like
0: and and had to be synced from iTunes. So your iTunes on your computer had to use it. It was
1: kind of treating things like they were music files and that didn't really work. It didn't offer a lot of, you know, customizability. And there's been a lot of back and forth on that over the years. And there's there are many popular third party apps as well. Um, and I, I'm unclear. I mean, I assume that that Android users and Windows phone users and the like listen to podcasts as much. I feel like I hear about it a lot in context of, of uh, Apple device users. So I don't know, for example, what the built-in solution for that is on Android If only devices. the
2: editor of Greenbox is <laughs> here. <laughs> it's not as Maybe easy. Maybe John can it's, tell me. It's
3: nowhere near as easy as on iOS. You, I have to hunt around for um, a third-party app. And if it's in... Built into Android, then it's not surfaced very well because I haven't discovered it. Of course, I'll get flamed immediately if I'm, if I'm <laughs> wrong about that. But yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's a problem, too.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's a big part of it, right? Maybe Apple make, moving in this direction will encourage Google to do something similar with Android, Microsoft to do something similar with Windows Phone. Um, and people using Windows computers probably don't listen to podcasts, right? I mean, they're probably doing other <laughs> that's things not
3: like
2: true. cleaning
1: their registry. I don't know dealing with corrupt DL I'm a Windows files. guy I, I listen to-, to podcasts see okay
2: okay He's I haven't used you Windows machine in right a long time yeah. I'm just
0: being I'm these just are being horrible me. stereotypes Dan but the,
3: the, uh, the irony is I pull out my old iPhone the one I don't use anymore I only use it for podcasts and that's how I get on
1: so, yeah, see, that is that is very yeah. interesting to me. So I, I, yeah, I don't know what we'll take uh, for that to catch on entirely. But I think that Apple moving the podcast app built in, even though the podcast app, of course, has many detractors, mm. uh, many of them correct, um, that that's not a surefire way to do it. But it, it it definitely helps with people who might not otherwise be familiar with podcasts.
2: Phil, what do you think? Well, I think podcasts need to have me on as a guest more. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm i invited on this one and, and the Macworld podcast, and, and uh, I'm able to speak. Uh, I'm able to string two sentences together generally. I haven't cursed in several minutes, yeah. so invite me on. No, uh, Dan was getting to, um, um, I think, the correct answer uh, towards the end of his answer there is that the clients really need to be improved. Um, I am one of those detractors of Apple's podcast app. It is, it is terrible. It is the worst thing Apple has ever built. That includes cards. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it is not. A, wow. a I I tried using it for a while when I upgraded to iOS 7, and I um, I hated it so much, and I sang when I deleted it from my app. And re- if the reports are true that it will actually be built into the iOS, and and I won't be able to delete it, that that makes me sad. I currently use Instacast. That's a bit of an improvement. It would hard to be hard to be worse um but it has its quirks too i don't think that podcast managers are um are seamless enough in the same way that itunes is right now and i think that's a big barrier to entry for the uh the type of listener that you're talking about jason
0: Yeah, I I think these are all great points. Um, Phil should be on more podcasts. Exactly. And uh, the apps, I think, is a big part of it, too. Apple's podcast app isn't great, but at least it's present, and that makes it easy if you want to find a podcast to get started. There are some other interesting apps out there that try to connect together different podcasts by subject. They're almost like Pandora for podcasting. There are a few of those out there that I think might offer this potential. What I would say is... I feel like uh, you need to get in your car and be able to press a button and tune it in like you're tuning in the radio, and whether that means tune in things you've already subscribed to or just choose a channel that's a subject and have it learn what you like and don't like as it goes. I think since so many podcasts are consumed in cars and it is a great alternative to to terrestrial radio, um, that's what I think is uh, is the biggest opportunity for podcasting. And actually, I feel like Android Auto and CarPlay might be – the best things that happen to podcasting if the podcasting support in those... Uh, whether it's built in or by a third party is strong because I do think so many people listen to podcasts in cars and if they can get uh, on dashboards, so it's really easy to just go listen to a podcast that, you know, it has to be as easy really as uh, listening to the radio for it to really take off. But I'm a believer in the medium. I love this medium. I just feel like it is still just too hard for regular people to get into it. And once they get into it, they totally get it and they love it. So, well, thank you. We'll, we'll put that on the agenda and we'll talk about that. We'll meet back here in a year and see, see what has changed. But uh, we should move on. John Phillips, what uh, what topic do you have for us?
3: Well, I want to talk about Android Wear. So I hope you yeah, might. I'm wearing one of the watches now, the Samsung Gear Live. I've been using Google's smartwatch OS for uh, since last Wednesday. Uh, I'm really digging it, and I am a pretty harsh critic of smartwatches. So I would like to know from you guys whether you would – if you don't own a smartwatch, would you – consider an Android Wear watch. Aside from the compatibility issues, it only works with Android. Or if you do own a smartwatch, would you switch your watch for Android Wear?
1: um i have a pebble um which i think i said on maybe on last week's episode is lying on my desk with its battery dead because i haven't charged it in a while it doesn't take that so long to charge. just
2: charge it dan for pizza yeah, charge it I,
1: I i'm thinking about it now but i, I can't reach on it. on the bright now, side so. the pebble
2: is right about the time twice a day <laughs>
1: except that the eating screen is just blank, blank. <laughs> um it's about as useful as an actual pebble right now mm. Um, so I think that there's there's definitely some interesting functionality from what I've seen of the Android Wear devices. Obviously, as John said, compatibility issues aside, um, I'd certainly I, I was intrigued enough to buy the Pebble as a Kickstarter backer. And I think I would be intrigued enough to play around with an Android Wear device if that worked with my phone, um, because, I you know, given the stuff that I've seen on there, I haven't found the. The, the, the utility like totally compelling yet, but that may be simply because I haven't used it and haven't found how great it is to order pizzas from my wrist all the time. Um, so I think if I, you know, maybe if I had that opportunity, it might, it might sway me a little bit. And certainly I think that, you know, uh, the pebble as nice as the e-ink screen is, I think a color screen would be pretty
2: cool. I feel that every time I am on this podcast, someone is asking me about a watch, and my <laughs> Clock- an- clockwise, Phil. Yeah, well, it's sure. clockwise, and my answer will be the same. I am holding up my wrists, ladies and gentlemen. They are free of smart watches. They are free of dumb watches. I am not. I'm not a watch wearer. Uh, I used to have a pocket watch uh, that I have since replaced by. If I have to pull something out of my pocket to look at the time, it's it's going to be an iPhone. Uh, perhaps the, the the features of uh, of the Android Wear devices are, make it more intriguing than uh, the first generation models of smartwatch that we've seen. Uh, perhaps if Apple ever uh, dips its toe into the watch pool, I would be uh, uh, more compelled to check it out. Right now, uh, smartwatch or dumb watch, it's it doesn't matter to me. I don't like wearing things on my wrist. Mm.
0: I am a watch wearer, and I do have a Pebble, and it is charged and on my wrist, and I like it. Um, Android Wear. So the one thing that concerns me most about Android Wear is it looks like these are these really nice bright color screens, and they need to be recharged every day. And my Pebble can go a week, and so that makes me a little reluctant to switch. Obviously, I've got an iPhone right now, so I, it's not something that I could I could do anyway. And the Pebble pushes little notifications to me, and that works great. I'm intrigued by this. I have to say, I'm actually most intrigued by the um, by the Motorola watch that's circular, only because I like the I like the idea. It looks it looks different, and it it isn't like a computer screen stuck on your wrist. Uh, that said. I can't stop looking at that watch now without thinking uh, the fact that, that there's that little black line at the bottom of it that isn't the watch, that, that isn't the screen. It's like the screen ends and then there's this sort of like little black thing at the bottom because it, they couldn't do a full 360 screen. They have like this blob at the bottom that just stays there and that kills – I could never wear that watch. But I, I, I it looks – as a as a physical shape, it looks really interesting and I think, ah oh, okay – that is some innovation, that, that they're trying to do something that isn't so computery. Um, but I think for, for me, the watchword <laughs> uh, for all of this is glanceability rather than interactive. Uh, too much interactivity. I want to be able to sort of tap or, or swipe briefly, but I don't want to use it like a computer. So for me, bottom line is uh, if it can show me lots of interesting stuff, great. Uh, I would consider switching to a watch that can show me more of that cool stuff, as long as I'm not charging it twice a day, and as large as as long as I'm not trying to use it as a computer. Because I'm not interested in a computer on my wrist. I just want a little glanceable thing.
1: Right. I'm gonna have to ask you offline how you manage to get a week of battery life out of it because my Pebble dies after like a day. But <laughs> I something's wrong with it.
2: What I want what, what would get me excited about this is the wrist thing that Lando Calrissian's assistant wears in Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> where he lobot. Uh, yeah,
1: lobot. Yeah, you, oh. you need. Do you need lobot to come with it as an accessory?
2: No, no. I would also like the little headpiece that he wears that alerts him. He, <laughs> that guy is mad into wearables.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: he is wearable.
3: I agree. I'll just I'll just close it up. I agree on the on the battery life thing. That's a huge issue. And there's no reason Android Wear can't be black and white. When when you're wearing the watch, uh, it's usually in its dim state or its ambient state, which which is a black and white interface. The color interface looks pretty, but you don't need it for that contextual information.
0: All right. Yeah. That's that makes sense. That makes sense. Dan, it's your turn. Uh, thank you. I I
1: had a question about. Um, the Apple of late seems to have been making moves towards uh, making some of its products a little bit cheaper. Um, uh, Apple's always been known as having sort of a higher price point, being more of a luxury product. But in the last six months or so, we've seen them lower the price on the entry-level MacBook Airs. We've seen them roll out a new iMac, which, while it has some compromises, is cheaper than the uh, the previous entry-level version. They've lowered the prices on iPod Touches. And they've also started letting retailers apparently do more significant discounts, like Costco and Walmart both allow you to get a, an iPhone for much cheaper than you can get one for Apple, um, all of which seems very antithetical to the kind of Apple that we we've, we've come to know, where they don't compete based on price. And in this case, they're not necessarily directly competing based on price, but they are oftentimes allowing retailers to undercut or make prices that are more affordable. so I'm curious to know your thoughts, if you have any, about whether, what's behind this strategy. Is it simply a matter of trying to clear out inventory in the case of the iPhones, or is there really something here where Apple's decided it can it can grab the lower end of the market? Phil, what do you think? Could
2: be a lot of factors at play. Yeah, there's probably some, let's get this inventory out because we've got some new stuff coming in. It could well be that um, the price of components has dropped and Apple is passing the the savings on to you, as it were. I I think what we're seeing is um, maybe this is the uh, byproduct of having an operations guy as your CEO. That uh, uh, Tim Cook's specialty, as it were, is is maximizing the product pipeline and and uh, keeping costs down. And uh, uh, Apple is uh, is adjusting its prices accordingly based on that.
0: Apple, you know, they're their price structure has changed over time. Apple products are a lot cheaper than they used to be, but it happens gradually and it happens in fits and starts. And I, I, I think there's some experimentation going on here. I think, uh, you know... I. Apple used to not be as aggressive with marketing stuff, uh, both its products that were direct and also the Apple Store, and that now they are. They email like nobody else. I get emails from Apple's trying to sell me things all the time. So they adapt and they change, and I feel like this is just kind of part of that story. I don't. I don't think it's a dramatic change for them. They've always sort of done stuff like this in the background or as experiments, and and yeah, I think Apple is sensitive to price to a certain extent but uh, it's really limited and they like to experiment a little bit so I, I don't think it's a a huge sea change I do think it's something where they're uh, trying some different stuff out because they do adapt over time it just happens slowly
3: yeah um, <clears throat> I mean I, I I agree with Phil it sort of sounds like a situation of if they can get the parts at a lower price they could pass the savings on to consumers um, they're probably they they probably are confident now that there's not going to be any damage to Apple's brand ID by By going for a lower price point, Um, people think of Apple in a certain way, and that's not necessarily going to diminish because an iPhone costs a little bit less. And, of course, they want to get as many users as possible as the Android universe grows, and especially into emerging markets. uh, It's important for all the manufacturers to keep pace with that and make sure that they're not pricing out too many people. And so if you can lower the price of of a phone a little bit, and um, still maintain, you know, the the brand values to use that that word um, w- without any damage to to what you stand for to to the world population. Then go for it. You're going to make more money.
1: Yeah, I think the interesting point on it is that uh, as you're talking about passing the the savings on to the end user is not something they've traditionally done very much. You know, they are very interested in maintaining their profit margins, and certainly they take home a lion's share of the profit still in smartphones and probably in PCs at this point as well. Um, and you know nobody's going to confuse them with Dell. You're absolutely right. Like in terms of, they're not like selling bargain basement computer prices, right? Um, and I think in particular on the on the Mac side, it's the most interesting because kind of having established the point where it's like the PC market is commoditized and is shrinking, um, you know, they can afford to stake out a little bit of lower ground there in terms of pricing uh, and not maintain the price points they've had before and still do pretty successfully. So I think it is an interesting experiment. I'm interested to see if it continues.
0: All right, Phil, what's your topic?
2: Over the weekend, we um, learned that Facebook had, uh, two years ago, uh, conducted a little experiment with... Our- a <laughs> Without telling anyone, where uh, it took the news feeds of around seven hundred thousand of its users and 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 fiddled with them, it it sent only negative stories to to some users and very positive stories to other users, and it um uh uh wanted to see how that affected how those users would would then post, and it it, it released this information in a a study uh, um that was published. And it, it thought, hey, isn't this interesting stuff? And no, uh, subscribers to or users of Facebook weren't that interested in it. What they were more interested in was, was being lab rats in, uh, in uh, uh, Facebook's uh, uh, little cat and mouse game to mix animal metaphors. <laughs> so what I, what I want to yeah. know uh, from my fellow panelists is, how does that make you feel? You've made me Phil. Your question has made me so angry. If uh, I were to ask you about your mother, what are the first words that come to your mind? Podcasts or
0: <laughs> radio without the listeners. I said that earlier. So here's the thing. Uh, Facebook, you know, Facebook is kind of evil. They do things with data. I think we all knew that. What puts this beyond the pale for me is that they modified people's. Facebook feeds in order to change their emotions and measure how it changed it. You know, they could have done the work to analyze somebody's feed and characterize the emotional content of it and then analyze those that person's posts later and see how the emotional content affected their posts, they could have done that. They could have used the data, mined this data that they have about all of us who are on Facebook and learned some things. And you know what? I would be okay with that. That is what you sign up for when you sign up for Facebook. What you don't sign up for is that the service will change what it shows you in an attempt to alter your emotional well-being. That is unacceptable because that's the difference between observing what happens naturally and experimenting on people. And that's what Facebook did. And it is unacceptable and I gotta say when the one of the people who ran the study posted a blog post about it a few days ago, it was the most non-apologetic apology ever. It was literally like, <laughs> you, yeah, you, I can see why you guys would get freaked out, but you know we worked on it and uh, there you go. I mean it was like there was just it was I think what he said was in hindsight, we did not
2: anticipate people would be this upset about it. Well, good. <laughs> Brilliant. If you Brilliant. thought that apology was lame, you should hear Cheryl uh, Sandberg's today, which yeah. was, "We didn't want to upset you. Well, you actually, you had, did want you to upset. Actually, actually <laughs> did, and you wanted. 50% of we you. wanted to see
0: if you would be upset, and then write that down and publish it in we're a paper. S- we're still in the experiment, guys. It's just, uh. it's just that that's pushes it over the edge. That's why it's outrageous to me, and it's unacceptable. And I, I honestly, I, I say say this very rarely. Somebody at Facebook deserves either to lose their job or to have a very serious uh, discipline. Happen to them because or this is think unacceptable.
3: they're losing their job.
0: Yeah, well, we should just experiment. We'll tell them they're fired and see what they do <laughs> if it el- elicits some emotional reaction. John, what do you think?
3: Uh, um, I waver between uh, in- indignation and just sort of a jaded— um, Well, that's Facebook. Ex- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm I know. on both sides of the coin. I guess maybe they're running the, uh, two two studies on me at once. Yeah, I'm. I'm at one point. I'm indignant, but I'm also sort of resigned to the fact that Facebook is going to manipulate our newsfeeds this way. I think it's a um, it's a stark reminder that they are already manipulating our newsfeeds, and they're not giving us what our friends are yes. sharing necessarily. Exactly. And I, I'm hoping that this that um, was
0: one of their defenses is you already don't see everything <laughs> right, in your newsfeed. Right. Feed. But yeah, I, I, I think know. most
3: people don't know that, right. and I think tech journalists we know that, especially because we're using Facebook to share our own stories. We're on it every day. But um, I bet if I asked my sister, uh, how does your newsfeed work? She would say, well, my friends post stuff and I see it. But as we know more and more, some some stuff does not surface stuff. Some stuff comes back and it's become – Facebook is is not what it used to be. It's super annoying now. You don't get to see what, you, the, what your loved ones are sharing. I'm hoping that this um, – this explosion of, of, of contempt will actually remind people or inform people about how Facebook really works and that Facebook, Facebook really needs some kind of raw feed. I want a button where I could hit it and I could see what my, what my friends are posting in chronological order without all this algorithmic, you know, mucking. Um, most people tend to see Facebook as a public utility. So messing with our emotions that way is almost like dropping some kind of you know, evil potion in, in the water supply. Facebook really uh, overstepped on this one.
1: Uh, I'd like to first point out to Phil that in the game of cat and mouse, the lab rats always lose. Yeah. There is no winning for that's, them. That's it's a true. bad deal. Um, I, I feel like this is, I won't say the the most mad science-y evil genius thingy that Facebook has done, because I'm sure they've done worse, but it does have (laughs) a certain amount of the like steepled fingers. Let's see what they do when we mess with their news feed. Like there's, I, I don't even know entirely what they get out of it. I mean, in terms of this this study, I feel like the fact that they've now determined they can control people's emotions, I don't feel like that's a good thing for anybody on Facebook. No, certainly like,
2: not Mark Zuckerberg.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, personally, I feel kind of vindicated in my choice to very rarely use Facebook on this um, and stick to Twitter, which doesn't appear to be doing this, I assume, as far
0: as I can tell. Um, well, your timeline the- on Twitter is unfiltered. Yeah, well, I mean, as far
1: as we know, Jason, they could be messing with us <laughs> surreptitiously.
0: Um, I, I, it
1: just, I agree that it, it oversteps some bounds there. And, you know, granted, you probably sign away all those rights when you click through that huge end-user license agreement. But at the same time, it does feel like it's incredibly disingenuous at the least, if not straight-out immoral. Um, and, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's, it, it all leaves a bad taste in your mouth because the idea that they're just messing with this stuff, you know, for their own particular interests, um, it just, it seems weird. It seems funky. I don't, I don't really dig it. I, I feel like I, I am pretty happy to not be using Facebook that often.
0: <laughs> it know. is immoral. Immoral is the, is the word for it. Experimenting on people is immoral, period.
2: Yeah, there, there's this thing called informed consent, Yep, um, <laughs> and it's not just, well, you should have read our, our terms of service our terms of of service button. agreement that goes on for a thousand pages. And uh, No, if you're going to do that, you need to be a bit more clear that you're doing that so people have the chance to opt out if they find it creepy. Uh, myself, I, I deactivated my Facebook account a couple months ago precisely for the reason that I was unhappy with how Facebook was manipulating my feed not showing me all the things that that my friends were posting but rather the things that it thought that I might want to see and the things that it thought I might want to see it was wrong about so um I uh it's a terrible move by Facebook, but it's Facebook has been making terrible moves for many, many years now. And, uh, Facebook gonna face Facebook, Facebook at its best. <laughs> yeah. So uh, more of the same. And if anything, I hope this, uh, this either leads Facebook to rethink uh, its approach, uh, rethink how it treats its users, not just as data points. Uh, but, but rather as people who actually have uh, hopes and dreams and ambitions, and, and may not uh, like being tweaked. And if not, I hope that it leads uh, to people uh, fleeing that particular ship. Yeah, like the lab rats do. The, <laughs> huh. the and
3: in the, in the, ship, the game guy, of again, cat,
2: cat and mouse, the me, I'm mixing my metaphors. Be, bring here
3: Willard. So. Bring Willard into this, and mm. then it's full have circle. A ben? Ben, yeah, you're walking mm-hmm. in the desert and you
2: come across a turtle. <laughs> I'm void comping everyone.
0: Yeah, here. that's right. Tom Joad would flip over that turtle. Mm. Wow, we're deep down the rabbit hole. Let's. We I think this means that we're at the end of our time and we should probably move on to our bonus question. Um, with we are we are about to wrap up our week on a Wednesday and disappear for the delightful Independence Day weekend here in the United States. Oftentimes, as this is a summer tradition, it's a time to put something on on the grill. And so I ask each of you in turn, there is a hot barbecue grill in front of you. What is the thing that you would the most like the most to put on that grill and then later eat?
3: John? Uh, baby back ribs and barbecued, not grilled, but on the grill.
0: On the grill. Barbecued, yeah. on the grill. Okay. Yep. You you got it. Coming right up, sir. <laughs> Dan Morin, what's on your grill? Uh, Italian sausage.
2: Mm. Mm. Nice one. Phil, what are you grilling? Uh, this weekend I will actually be grilling a tri-tip. However, uh, let me put in a good word for sardines. Grill them. Keep, the, he- oh, keep oh. the heads on them. Grill them. They're delicious
0: interesting and I will choose what I actually just grilled a couple of days ago which is a uh, flank steak marinated with uh, oh. soy sauce and ginger uh, very tasty and then we also had some uh, some zucchini with salt and uh, and olive oil that I that I grilled I, I, I didn't eat them. But my family said they were delicious. <laughs> I I will be right over.
2: I I have had the grilled zucchini at your house. You have. I find it I find it pleasing.
0: Yes, that's, I, I rely on others to tell me that it's good because I got no idea because I don't eat that sort of thing. <laughs> but the flank steak, that's up my alley. All right, and that brings us to the end of our show. John Phillips, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Phil Michaels, thank you for being here.
2: I'm happy to be here, or on many other better other podcasts as well. <laughs> <yes. laughs> and
0: until next time. We here Clockwise wish you a happy Independence Day, United States. If you're in the UK, take that. And if you're in Canada, hey,
2: belated Happy, happy Canada, Canada Day. Day.
0: And by the way, for everyone out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do. I don't know.
2: She's Hi. a grand old flag. She's a high flying flag.
0: I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle, do or die.
1: Always the best part. <laughs>